Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Terry. Um, I'm terrible at resting, like just horrible at it. In fact, on my birthday last week, my wife posted a birthday tribute on Facebook, which was wonderful. It was really sweet, and, and I teared up reading it, honestly. But in it, in, in the birthday tribute, like the most important thing she thinks about me is, I'm terrible at relaxing. And which is very true. I'm terrible at relaxing. I always have to be doing something. We're on vacation, and I don't know how to relax. We were on vacation, and, you know, we went to Hawaii, which was amazing and beautiful, and I couldn't just, like, sit on a beach, which is what you're supposed to do, right? Like, I was like, we got to go adventure. We need to go for a hike. We need to go up a mountain. We need to go, like, to the tide pools. Like, we've got to do all of this stuff, and so I probably fit in and filled in more than we really needed to be doing um, because I just always got to be doing something. I was a project at home. Right now, I think I have six projects that are in process, um, and my family wishes just one would get done, just, just one. We were thinking about going hike, uh, camping next weekend, and we bought a camper that I've been renovating, uh, and unfortunately, it's not going to be done, because why? I've got six other projects going on, right? I, I'm terrible at resting, and in that way, I am a typical American, right? I just, I'm, I'm a very typical American in my workaholism and my always got to be doing something and moving and do not know at all how to rest. Now, which was great because this morning I was looking through my podcasts and I was listening to a podcast while I was in the shower. And uh, there's one podcast from NPR that I love called Rough Translation, which is all about like understanding, cross-cultural understanding. Um, and this season they're doing a series on work in different places and across cultures. And so uh, this one listener had written in and said, hey, I live in France and I'm an American and I, am, I love my American productivity but I hate the French lunch hour because culturally in France, you take an hour and a half lunch with your coworkers and it is, there's a law on the books that says you cannot eat in your workplace. You must eat your lunch outside of your workplace. Uh, and that's the general culture. Now I know not everybody in France observes that, but culturally generally that's the story. Um, and this American writing in, or sitting in her thing to, to Rough Translation said, hey, can you guys talk about this? Because um, it's driving me nuts. I like to do my work over my lunch hour and be a typical American. And so they go through all the good reasons that there are behind leaving your office uh, or your workplace to go and have lunch with your coworkers um, and to take that break and to take that time and to do your lunch and then go get coffee and then come back and be productive the rest of the day. And I thought, I don't, I don't know if that would be the cure for my workaholism or if that would drive me insane. Um, but it's probably, it's probably an indictment of me that that would drive me nuts. Um, and the crazy thing about the French is they have a 35-hour work week, and yet top productivity across the world. Like, they're, they're some of the most productive, it's one of the most productive nations on earth, um, and yet uh, observes a shorter work week than we do. And I think that tells us something, right? I think that tells us something about our American productivity and our, our restlessness, our need to constantly go, and our lack of value for real rest. 
we just don't know how to rest as people. Um, I certainly don't. I feel like if I have to lay down for a nap, and there have been times in my life that I have been forced to lay down for a nap, my body just goes, nope, I'm not doing anything more till you get some rest, and I always feel guilty. I took a nap this past week. I think it was Wednesday or something. I was at home, and I laid down and took a nap. I texted my wife and said, I took a nap this afternoon um, as a confession because I felt bad about it. And she responded, well, you deserved it. And I went, did I really? Did I, did I do enough to deserve a nap? And the, the reality is I, I, I did. I was working hard enough to deserve a nap that day uh, and to listen to my body when it told me I needed rest. As human beings, we're built with the need for rest right into, into everything. We're, we're built with a need to rest, to recuperate, to rejuvenate, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. When we don't rest, we suffer in every way. When we refuse rest, we suffer physically, emotionally. Our mental health takes a toll when we refuse to rest. And we know this intellectually, but then experientially we refuse to practice it. And that's why it's really good that we come to Genesis chapter 2 today. It's really good that we look at this seventh day. Because if there was ever a being that did not need rest whatsoever... It's God. God is at his core inexhaustible energy. God don't get tired. He can't get tired. God can't run out of energy to do stuff. God can be infinitely more productive than any one of us on our absolute best days. And yet we read here in Genesis chapter 2 that God chose to rest. And honestly, I don't think this was just a model for us. It definitely serves as a model for us, especially for those of us who refuse to rest. But I honestly think that there was something about God's satisfaction in all that had come before that God stepped back and say, it's done. I don't, I don't need to do anymore. There's nothing more. Everything was perfect as it was. And so God chose to rest in the work that God had done because it was complete, because there was nothing more to be done. And God could recognize, okay, I can step back. I can just be satisfied in the work that I've done. I can be satisfied in the creation that I have made. We call this shalom. You know that word? You heard that word? Shalom before? Right? A, lot of, a lot of us think that shalom is just the way that, that uh, Israel, Israeli people greet one another, but shalom is, is this huge, huge word. I, mean, I feel like in every culture except the American one, like every culture has those one or two words that mean like everything that you can use in any context. Um, in, in Japanese, it's hai. Hai means yes, but hai can also mean yeah, I agree, or hai can mean many different things. Like, yeah, you're right. It's like saying a in Canada. Um, or, you know, in Hawaii, it's aloha. Aloha means a ton of different things. Um, in Hebrew, it's shalom. Shalom means a lot of different things. But ultimately, what shalom means is everything is right. Everything is good. Everything is perfect. Shalom is everything is done and nothing more needs to be done for people to flourish and be able to rest. And God's resting on the seventh day was a recognition that all that he created was in perfect shalom. 
It was in balance with one another. It was perfectly suited and set for his purposes and intent. That's what shalom is. And that's why God can rest. That's why God can step back and say, it's all done. I don't need to do anything more. I'm finished. My work is done. I'll step back. And if God does that, how much more do we need to? How much more do we need the rest and the ability to step back and say, the work is finished. I don't have to fill my time and fill my hours and fill my days with things to be productive because I can be satisfied that the work is done. Or, you know what, the work ain't done. But I recognize that the work doesn't define me. And so I can step back and say, I know who I am and I am secure in who I am despite the fact that I didn't finish that task today. We got some, some people in here, like real type A personalities who, who don't know who they are apart from the stuff that they do, who don't know who they are apart from the tasks that they've completed. And until the task is complete, they're always going to feel this sense of lesserness. They're always going to feel a sense of incompletion, the sense that I'm, I'm not entirely in the right space until that task is done. I am one of them. I deal with imposter syndrome all the time because I tie myself so tightly to my work that when the tasks aren't finished, I feel like I'm not fully living up to expectations of myself and of God and of others, and so I can't just let things go. I can't just let them be. And this text today is a, a testimony to us that we are who we are in Christ and in God apart from the work that we do, and we can rest. We don't have to tie ourselves to our productivity. We don't have to tie ourselves to the tasks that we're trying to do. Our identity is not wrapped up in what we do. It's kind of a joke internationally that when you meet people, when you meet an American, they're going to ask you, what do you do? Almost nowhere else in the world is that like an opening question when you meet someone new. But we love to ask that question. That's like, that's like number two or three. You know, we might ask where you live. We might ask what brought you to this place. And then inevitably we're going to get to what do you do? Because for us, it's such a defining characteristic. You go to so many other places in the world and that question doesn't even come up because your job is not who you are. It's something we've done to ourselves. We've created a world in which our jobs and our productivity define who we are. And in the church, that's a problem. Within the church, that's a huge problem. Because we're not to be defined by what we do. In fact, the very basis of the good news of Jesus is that you're not defined by what you do, but by what God has done for you. We're so anti-charity. We're so anti-giving to me. We're so anti-taking from others that we can't even receive what God has given freely to us without feeling like we've earned it somehow. But God comes to us in Jesus Christ and says, no, 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 no. I love you for who you are apart from the works you can do for me. I love you for who you are despite your productivity in life or those tasks that you didn't get finished or the clutteredness of your house or the way that you yelled at your child yesterday because I did. I love you and you are mine despite the things you can do for me. And that's what rest does for us. 
Rest situates us and sits us in the center of who God calls us and distances us from that identifying with our productivity and our work, from allowing that to become our identity and who we are. It reminds us that our trust in getting things done, our trust in the goodness of the future is not in the work of our hands, but in the good God who holds it all. That's what Sabbath does for us, and that's why we must Sabbath. That's why we must take that time away. Take that time to just rest in who God is and to recognize that the future is not dependent on me, that everything getting done is not dependent on me, that God's good purposes and plans will be done whether I am engaged in them or not. And so I can rest. Here's a problem, though. There's a big problem with this. Huge. Staring me right in the face. We live in a broken, sinful world where bad stuff happens all the time, and things don't get done, and people get hurt, and where if I'm not engaged, something terrible might actually happen over there. And so I can't always trust. If I'm just looking at the world, if I'm just looking at the state of creation and the state of the world as it is, I feel like if I'm not engaged, I, don't, I can't necessarily trust that God is going to bring those things to rights. We live in a broken world that undermines our trust in God's good purposes all the time. Because things are broken. Because things are messed up. And so we look at this, this God resting in shalom. We, we look at God looking at his creation and saying, it's all very good. Shalom is here. Therefore, I can step back. And we go, wait a minute, God. You rested because there was shalom. I look around and I don't see any. Where is the shalom in our world that allows me to rest? Where's the shalom in our world that gives me the confidence to be able to lay down and close my eyes or just to stop my doing for the moment? <clears throat> Where is it, God? We live in a world devoid of shalom all too often. And so we fail to rest because we feel like we got to keep working we got to keep grinding. we got to keep going. Or everything will fall apart more than it already is. And so the conditions that allowed God to step back from his perfectly created world, for us, don't exist. We live in a sinful world where sin breaks relationships and systems, causes injustice, causes people to suffer, breaks our relationships, and we feel like we got to keep working. we got to keep grinding to bring things to rights. So what do we trust in? What are we hoping when that's the case? Where do you put your hope when everywhere you look there's no shalom? Where do you put your hope when all the people you know are lacking in shalom just as much as you are? Where do you put your trust? How can you rest? Because resting is like the most vulnerable place we ever get to. You ever thought about sleep? You ever thought about sleep and trust? You can't sleep in a place where you don't feel like you can trust the people or environment around you. Right? You can't do anything when you're asleep. We're the most vulnerable. We are like babies when we are sleeping. And so you can't. You know, 
Soldiers on the battlefield learn to sleep in a way that they're still very aware. So every noise, every sound. And so it's not truly restful. And for many of us in our lives, we have only a few places of absolute security in our lives where we can really sleep and get rest, be restful. Because we feel like we have to be aware to the, to the things around us. We have to be aware to the, the brokenness and the stuff that's going on in the world. And so we can't rest because we don't trust. We can't rest because we can't be vulnerable. Because if I'm vulnerable and I let my guard down, I'll get hurt or other people will get hurt. And so we live in a world that undermines our trust, undermines our trust in God's good world, undermines our trust in one another, undermines our trust in God's purposes, and kills our vulnerability. Where we can't be vulnerable with each other, we can't be vulnerable enough to rest, we can't be vulnerable enough to stop and step back for a minute. So what do we do? Man, this is a bleak picture. Man, it stinks. It's so hard. So what do we do? Where do we turn? Well, here's some good news for you. Finally to the good news, right? The world has always been this way. It's not unique to our time and place. It's not unique to our situation that the world is a dangerous place, that the world can be a scary place. It's not unique to our time and place or our circumstances that we feel like we can't be vulnerable enough to rest or to open ourselves up to each other. It's not unique at all. It was present in the very, from the very first days of humanity. It was present from the very first time that the first people sinned in the Garden of Eden. From that day forward, we have lived in this kind of broken world. And so that means when Jesus comes on the scene, that's the world he steps into. A world of risk, a world of danger, a world that saps people of their vulnerability and their ability to rest. And Jesus steps into this world, a world where the religious leaders around him had made this idea of Sabbath into an extra burden. Like, you've got to Sabbath, which means you can't walk more than a mile on Saturday. You can't stir a pot more than three times. Now in the modern era, you can't turn on a light switch more than twice, right? Turn these the, what God had given people as a gift of rest into a further burden. And so Jesus stepped into a world where people also didn't know how to rest because their rest had been robbed from them by the religious system they were a part of that had turned rest into another kind of law and burden. And Jesus steps into this world and says, hold up, no, 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 no. That Sabbath was given to you as a gift it is for you. You weren't made to serve it. You weren't made to, to be a slave to this law of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was here to create rest for you, to give you a break, to restore and rejuvenate you. And then Jesus goes a step further. And he says, I'm the Sabbath. And as we read through the New Testament, we read in, in this this early church, the, the first followers of Jesus who were living out, following after him, we get to this letter written to Jewish Christians, this letter called the Hebrews, or to the Hebrews. And we read in chapter 4 of the letter to the Hebrews 
For if Joshua had given them rest, this is when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt in the Exodus, that, that Charlton Heston was leading them out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. When the children of Israel are leaving Egypt and going into the Promised Land, they get to the border of the Promised Land, and there Moses dies in a place called Moab. He can't go into the Promised Land because he was disobedient to God. And so Moses dies, Joshua takes up the leadership, and Joshua is going to lead the people into the promised land. And so that's where the, the writer to the Hebrews now is talking about Joshua. And he says in chapter 4, verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. That is, God promised the Sabbath for his people after they had entered the promised land that Joshua, their leader, couldn't give to them. Right? So, so track with me here. For the person... Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. What the writer of the Hebrews is saying is, that promised Sabbath, you, you haven't seen it. Joshua couldn't give it to you. None of the kings of Israel could give it to you. No leader of the nation has ever been able to give you the rest that God has promised, that he's promised to give you. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. And then we're going to skip down to verse 14 because it follows from there. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, maybe you don't see the connection here, so I'm going to make it plain. All of the book of Hebrews is about how God made all these promises to his people, and all of those promises went unfulfilled until Jesus. And in Jesus, every promise that God made to his people ever has been fulfilled. So the writer of the Hebrews now is saying, look, people of God, you never got the rest that God promised you. God promised you Sabbath. He wrote it into his law. He meant it for it to be something restorative to you. But the leaders of Israel made it something burdensome. And you never got the rest God promised until Jesus. Jesus is the rest that you deserve. Jesus is the coming king who will make all things right, in whom you can trust. That's why he goes on to say that Jesus is the high priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness, who was tempted in every way and yet without sin. What he's saying is all of that fear you feel about the world, all of the stuff you deal with day in and day out, all the sin that's broken your world and is robbing you of rest, Jesus dealt with all of it. He faced it all as well. And he is the one who is now your high priest standing before God, talking to God on your behalf, calling you his children. He's the one you can trust in. He's the one you can rest in because you know that he has all things in hand. You can rest in Jesus because you know all things will be made right through him. And the sin of the world will no longer have a reign over your life. You will no longer be slaves to fear, 
but because you are children of God, bought through the blood of Jesus Christ, who has dealt once for all with all the evils of the world, you can trust that he has your best interest at heart, that he is your protection, he is your shield, he is your deliverer, he is the one who will hold you and give you the strength you need to be vulnerable and rest. That's who Jesus is. And so when we come to God and we say, God, that shalom in which you rested, it just ain't there for us. It doesn't exist in our world. Our world is scary and it's broken and it's lonely and it's hard and I don't know how to rest. God says, yeah, I've walked through all of that with you. And you can trust my promise that I will hold you through it all because I went through all the evil of the world and I let it kill me. All of the evil and brokenness of the world destroyed my body, says Jesus, so that it can't destroy yours. I let all of the evil of the world crucify myself so that you could rest in my promise of eternal life. We can try all we want to build in times of relaxation. We can go on all the vacations that we want. We can get away from all the stresses of our lives. But until we rest in Jesus, we will not know Sabbath rest. Until we rest in Jesus and in His hand, until we allow Him to hold us, to freshen us, to renew us, to wash away our sin and make us new creatures in Him who trust in His purposes, who trust in His protection, and who trust in His future, we will never know real rest because no one else has ever conquered the sin of the world. No one else has ever defeated the powers that stand opposed to God's people. No one else can give us the promise of new life and of eternal life that Jesus has given us. So until we can rest in Him, until we can put all of our faith and hope and trust in Him, all of our efforts and rest are in vain. And we will be stuck in the rat race of the world, identifying ourselves by what we can do, identifying ourselves by our productivity, identifying ourselves by the things and the work of our hands instead of who God calls us in Jesus Christ. Today, if you're in Jesus, your identity is firm in Him. You are not defined by the work of your hands or by the righteous acts you can do to try and earn God's pleasure. You are defined by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which washes away your sin. You are defined by the resurrection of Jesus that secures your eternal life. And you are held firm in the hands of a Father who loves you and a Holy Spirit who lives within you. That is the assurance of life. That is the eternal quality of life that Jesus came to give and that only He can promise. And it is a sweet life. It is so good. And it is so sweet to be able to rest in Jesus. To put all of our trouble on Him. To allow Him to take our cares. And to know that we are secure in His hand. Quite apart from anything we could ever do. And today there are people in this room I'm sure who don't know that rest. There are people 
maybe online, maybe within the sound of my voice, who have never known that rest, never felt that vulnerability, never been secure enough in who they are to know that they can rest in Jesus and that He promises the shalom that God enjoyed on that seventh day of creation. But today, you can know the peace and shalom of the rest of God. You can know peace and wholeness in your own life. Today, you can grasp onto and hold onto and know that you belong to Jesus. And in the strength of His hand, you can then be vulnerable enough to truly rest from your labors. And so I invite you today, if you don't know this peace, if it's foreign to you, to lay your sin on Jesus, to lay your burdens and your cares on Jesus, to call upon Him and to say, Jesus, I am sorry for rejecting You. I am sorry for trying to identify myself by my work I'm sorry for running from you. I'm sorry for not embracing and accepting who you call me through the cross and resurrection. I am sorry, Lord, that I have not surrendered my life to you. And now I give myself into your hand. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me my sin and make me whole. Today is the day of salvation and of rest if you have never known it. And if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time and you've lost that rest, you've lost that sense of who you are, today's the day to reclaim it. And to confess before God, God, I have been trying to build my own identity through my work and through my ambition and through the things that I do. I've been trying too hard to make myself into someone who is lovable by you rather than accepting your gift of grace and of salvation. Today is the day to confess before our good Father and to receive the rest of God in Jesus Christ. Today is that day. And I invite you to lay before God all of your sin and all of your efforts to craft your own identity and receive who God has called you through Jesus Christ. Be truly today that child of God that we declared earlier. Holy Father, blessed Son, Holy Spirit, thank you Thank you for calling us yours through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for sitting down at the right hand of God the Father and constantly being there to intercede for us so that we can know we are children of God. Would you give us today the vulnerability, Lord, to say we are yours and we don't have to build our own identity. We are yours and we don't have to create ourselves. We are yours and therefore we are children of God. Today, Lord, make us yours. We confess those ways that we have rejected your provision and your grace by trying to work our way into your affection. Today we lay down our burdens and we lay down our work and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move us into a place of vulnerable rest, knowing that your purposes don't lie in our hands. And that, Lord, what you do will be done with or without us. But that we get the privilege of being part of your plans. We get the privilege of 
of engaging with your world, of engaging in your project of shalom and of renewal. And so, Lord, today, would you give us shalom in our hearts, wholeness and healing in our hearts that have been washed of sin so that, Lord, we can rest in your shalom even as we look forward to the day, Jesus, that you will remake this world into the place that it was always meant to be. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.